With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. A science story, huh? And I just thought, well, I figured it, out. it was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, I'm Ben Lilly, and welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true stories of how science has affected people's lives. This week's storyteller is Brooke Borel. The story was recorded in September 2012 at Union Hall in Brooklyn. The theme of the event was animals. So around a year and a half ago, I started freelancing full-time, which meant working from home. Now, this had some upsides. I cut my commute time from 45 minutes to three seconds. Uh, I'm a science writer. I have this nice, quiet space to science write in all day. But there's a dark side to working from home, I soon realized. And part of it is that it's lonely. But the other thing is that I was spending entire days without leaving the apartment, which was facilitating things like not changing out of my pajamas and not always showering. And this hit a low point one afternoon when I was interviewing a scientist on the phone, and I looked down and realized that I was wrapped in nothing but a bed sheet. (laughs) And... (laughs) And this was the outfit I decided was okay to wear for the day. So I tried to fix this by working from coffee shops and going on errands during the day, but nothing really helped until I got a dog. So my fiancé, Mike, and I, we had wanted a dog for a long time, and this seemed like a good time to get one because I could take care of it during the day, it would get me outside for walks, and uh, keep me company. So we adopted this two-year-old beagle mix with freckles on his nose and these dreamy hazel eyes named Lorenzo. And we got him from this shelter in North Carolina, welcomed him into our home in Park Slope, Brooklyn, and immediately became obnoxious dog owners. So not long after we got Lorenzo, he had a toy chest. He had a Halloween costume. Uh, We would do these uh, photo shoots, these elaborate photo shoots with him wearing our hats and glasses. And I would have to restrain myself from pulling out these photos when other people showed me pictures of their children. Sometimes I would do this anyway. They would say, this is my baby. And I'd say, this is my dog in a hat. And they would look at me like, that's not the same thing, and get kind of irritated. Um, But when you get a dog uh, as an adult, it's a totally different experience than a pet as a child, because now you're the one in charge of everything. So we found that we were the ones having to clean out Lorenzo's ears so he didn't get infected and giving him his monthly heartworm pill. And we were the ones having to pull things out of him that didn't belong there. Um, For example, you might not know this if you don't have a dog in the city, but it's actually covered in chicken bones. So out on walks, it was always, what are you eating? And like reaching down and pulling chicken bones out of his mouth and trash. Uh, Back at home, also not safe. Any toy, he would just tear it apart, rip it apart, and I was constantly pulling those out of his throat. Uh, Sometimes, though, I would miss this, and he would sneak it in. And I wouldn't realize until days later on a walk when I found myself pulling it out of his other end. Yeah, there's nothing so humbling as crouching on a public sidewalk and pulling a partially digested dog toy out of your dog's ass. It's really humbling. Uh, But... (laughs) 
Uh, that really happened. Uh, but the, the most humbling thing, or the most uh, intense thing getting a dog is probably all of the veterinary stuff. So about a year into dog ownership, Lorenzo and I are at the vet's office for his first annual checkup with me as an adult, first time I've done this. And we're sitting there at the vet, and he's going through all the test results, and he pauses. And he looks at me, kind of like judgy and frowning, and he looks at Lorenzo, and he looks back at me, and he says, your dog has heartworm. And I say that's impossible. He tested negative before we got him, and I give him the pill every month. I have a system, I have stickers on the calendar, and I have all these alarms that go off. He can't have heartworm. And he says, no, he does. He probably got it in North Carolina. It's more common in the South. And he probably had a false negative when he was tested. And I say, hang on, are you telling me that my dog has had heartworm for a year? Like, isn't that terrible? How long can a dog live with heartworm? And what's heartworm? Because I'm realizing in this moment, I don't actually know what it is. I've been feeding him the pill, and I'm a science writer, and maybe I could have looked it up, but I didn't. So the vet explains, well, heartworm is a parasite spread by mosquito bites. So a mosquito bites the dog, and the parasite larvae make their way to the heart, where they grow to the size and shape of a strand of spaghetti. And hundreds can pack in the heart. They can live there for years and eventually cause heart failure. So now I'm picturing my dog's heart filled with hundreds of strands of ravenous spaghetti, like, chewing away. And I go, oh, my God, how do we get rid of this? And the vet says, well, we have to run some tests first, which we have to schedule for a few days from now. We have to do a chest X-ray and an echocardiogram, look at the heart and count how many worms are there, and that determines the treatment. But it always is some variation of this. The dog gets a shot and has a month of rest and another shot or two and another month of rest, meaning little to no activity. And here's why. The shot kills the worms, but it takes a while for the dog's immune system to clear the dead worms out. So if the heart rate goes up before that happens, it can dislodge those dead worms, and now they're big. So if the, now when they're going through the bloodstream, they can clot and end up somewhere where they're too big to fit through. So if this happens in the brain, it causes a stroke. In the lungs, pulmonary embolism. So I say, okay, let's schedule these tests immediately, and we schedule them. And as I'm leaving, the vet says, oh, by the way, don't go on the Internet. It'll only freak you out. <laughs> I, you know, it's good advice, though. It's good advice, but I feel conflicted. I'm a science writer. Theoretically, I could look this stuff up and get good information. But then I start wondering, how many dogs die a year of heartworm, and what are the complications? And I decide I don't want to know. So I follow his advice, and in the days leading up to the test, when I could spend time doing that research, I instead spoon Lorenzo on the living room rug, and I feel his little heart like slowly beating against my hand, and I start thinking about how much this dog means to me. I mean, he, I spend more time with him than I do with my fiancé at this point, because I'm with him every single day. He gets me up out of the apartment, I dressed in something other than a bed sheet, and we go through the neighborhood and go on, on adventures in the park, and neighbors and strangers will stop us on the street, mostly to talk to him. Sometimes they talk to me too, but either way, I'm out there interacting with the world again. And in the apartment, he keeps me company. I read him stories I'm working on. I talk to him. Like, he's my little buddy, and his little heart's, like, beating against my hand. And I'm thinking, like, is he going to be okay? Is, is it too late? Am I a terrible dog owner? So the test day comes and goes, and we get really good news. Lorenzo has one worm in his heart. I'm so relieved. I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I didn't do all that research and freak myself out on the Internet. Uh, so we go in a few days later. He gets his first shot here in his back. Uh, the vet says, keep his heart rate down. Uh, he's going to be sore for a few days and sends us home. See you in a month. I'm like, oh. So I go home. I'm, I'm very relaxed now. I like settle in. I'm reading a magazine. And I feel like someone's staring at me, and it's only Lorenzo at home. So I look up, and he's looking at me, and he's like shaking like this and panting. 
And I'm like, huh, no one told me that would happen. So I call the vet, and I'm like, that's happening. And they say, well, you know, he's fine. That's normal. So I'm like, well, thanks for telling me that before. So I get off the phone, and I'm, I'm watching him, and he's still, like, really agitated and shaking. I'm, like, walking around, and this goes on for hours and hours. And at some point, he's looking at me. And I know I'm not supposed to project human emotion on my dog, but I dress him up in hats, and I think he's a human child. So I think his eyes are telling me, Brooke, I might be dying. You should probably call the vet back now. I'm like, yeah, yeah. Okay, so I call the vet back. I'm like, this is still happening. They say his, his body's reacting to the medicine. He's fine. Like, okay. But more hours pass and more hours pass. He's still so agitated. Now he's lying on the living room rug, like shaking and staring at me. And I crawl down with him and spoon him. And I'm stroking his head. And I press my hand against his chest again. But this time his heart's going like, thump, 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 like really fast. I'm like, wow, your heart's beating really fast. Your heart rate's up. Your heart rate's up. His heart rate's up. It's going to dislodge that worm. And it's going to go straight to his brain. He's going to have a stroke and die in my arms. Oh, my God. So I call Mike, who's traveling. And totally scare him on the phone. And then I call my parents in Kansas and do the same thing to them. And I call my sister in St. Louis and do the same thing again. And they all say, we don't know what to do. Call the vet back. Why are you calling us? I'm like, I don't know why I'm calling you. And I call the vet back. But it's 10 o'clock on a Saturday night, so they're closed. And now I'm shaking, and I'm starting to cry. And we're just sitting there shaking and staring at each other. And I frantically look around the apartment and I see this magnet on the fridge for the 24-hour emergency vet. I don't even know how it got there, but I, I run over and I rip it off. I've never called them before. I'm, like, dialing with trembling hands and crying, crying more. And someone answers, and I blurt out, there's a worm in my dog on the way to his brain. It's going to give him a stroke, and he's going to die. What do I do? And they're like, what are you talking about? And they calm me down and get out the real story. And they say, okay, look, heartworm shots are painful. Hold some ice on his back. See if that helps. So I get some ice, and I'm holding it on his back, and he's trying to run from me because he's scared of weird things like that. And I'm begging him. I'm like, don't run, don't run. Your heart rate's going to go up more. And then I realize I feel ridiculous. This isn't helping. I put the ice away. I get out the bill the vet gave me, and I look up the drug they gave my dog, which is called amidocide. And I get out my computer, and I start reading. And I learn that amidocide's related to arsenic, which is a poison that kills things. I'm like, oh, my God, they're trying to kill my dog. But then I calm down, and I start thinking about toxicology and the, what I know about that field through my work. And the main tenet is that everything is dependent on dose. So you could have something like water, which is vital for life. But if you have too much water in too short of a period of time, it can actually kill you. Similarly, with arsenic or any other drug, right timing, right dose, it can make you sick, it can kill you, it might not do anything. In this case, the dose they gave my dog wasn't probably going to kill him. It was going to kill the worm in his heart. Okay. And I kept reading, and I learned that some of the side effects of amidocide include trembling and panting. Oh, okay. So as I keep reading, a calm comes over me. This is a veterinary journal article I'm writing. These scientists studied this on these dogs. The same thing's happening in my dog. It's like, oh, science this seems to make sense. This calms me more than talking to the vet, who told me things would be okay, but not why. And more than talking to my family and to Mike, they didn't know if things would be okay or not, or why or why not. But having this information gave me a new sense of control. So I stopped trembling and crying, and Lorenzo's symptoms also started to fade. And by the next day, he was kind of groggy, but a little bit better, a little bit more back to normal. Day after that, a little bit better. The day after that, that's when I knew that at least the amidocide didn't have any lingering effects. Because he was back to his old tricks. We're on a walk around the block, a very slow walk to keep his heart rate down. And I'm like, Lorenzo, what are you eating? And he's eating, chi I'm pulling chicken bones out of his throat again. 
And uh, today I'm happy to announce he's very healthy and well. We are back to being crazy, obnoxious dog owners. On Friday, this Friday, at our wedding, not only will he be in our ceremony, he will be dressed in a little tie. <laughs> Thank you. That was Brooke Borel. Brooke is a freelance science writer and journalist. She's a contributing editor at Popular Science, where she writes about everything from fusion energy to maritime archaeology. She's also written for Discover, Cosmos, and Live Science, among others. She's currently writing her first book, Popular History and Science Narrative on The Bedbug. For more science stories, take a look at storycollider.org, where we have our magazine, archives of the podcast, and upcoming events. If you have a story you'd like to tell, we have submission information there as well. The Story Collider is produced by me, Brian Wecht, and Aaron Barker. The podcast is produced by Rose Eveleth. Additional help from Brooke Williams, Lena Groger, Josh McCall, and Raffaella Benin. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to Union Hall for hosting the show, and to Brooke for telling that story three days before her wedding. Also, congratulations. Thanks for listening. Protect your dream home with American Family Insurance. And you can weather any storm. You'll also save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote. Find an agent at AmFam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit AmFam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.